You are listening to the Startup Playground. Show where I invite entrepreneurs, startup founders, and game changers to talk about their success stories, learn from their mistakes, and hear about their interesting experiences. Hello, sweet listener. Today we have founder at The Future, Chris Zabo, in the sweet seat to tell us about his experience within the startup environment. Without further ado, let's hear more from founder himself. Hey, Chris. Hey, Elvis. How are you doing today? All good. All good. I heard you had a long day today. Long day. Yeah, and it's just getting longer. Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of being a startup founder, right? <sighs> it's part of it, absolutely. Could you tell me more about yourself? Where to begin? So I am originally Hungarian, have lived in Denmark for over six years now. I started my university here in 2013, also spent half a year in a Hoeskola in 11. Now I finished my master's and experimenting with starting up my own stuff. What kind of stuff are you experimenting with except the future? Have been and have experimented with, with lots of different kinds of stuff. I don't think we have the time for discussing all of it. In the last three years, I've been active in video production, editing, content creation in different ways. Also dived in into blockchain as the hype emerged. I experimented with some Forex before. That's why I got interested in crypto, looked into that. I would like to say that I'm not really attracted to hypes. However, I decided to do my master's thesis about blockchain and that's how I got deeper into this. But it actually turns out that it's a useful knowledge and experience. I'm still uh, active in the, in the sphere and um, have a smaller network in it. And also later we'll talk about it. Diffager is also using some of blockchain technology and rightly so because also other companies are discovering the possibilities that could be connected with fake news, blockchain, AI and so on. So merging all the technologies and creating something innovative and new. I also saw that you have written some articles on LinkedIn. Maybe you could elaborate on it. And what is your opinion? Do you think that the cryptocurrency is the future replacing the physical money? Starting with the articles, it was my master's thesis that I dived into more of the definitions, details, and how what exactly blockchain is, what it's built up from, and, and what it entails. And that's why I thought it would be useful to just... Uh, take some parts of it, rewrite them and uh, publish them in, a, in an understandable way for my LinkedIn friends, followers to, to take a look at. Later on, I got kind of more interested in, in AI and I'm, I'm not in general, I'm, I, don't, I don't like to write a lot and, and discuss stuff a lot. I'm more of a let's do it and, and how do we do it and not like sit down and discuss. But uh, I already had the thesis ready and I had a pretty decent uh, description of the technology, like in 40 pages. So I just took some of the excerpts and, and most interesting parts, created some graphics and animations and created these articles just for, you know, to have it preserved in a more digestible form. As for crypto, I think there is a high chance it's going to replace, for example, PayPal and banking. And, uh, and it's just a question of time when Revolut or some sort of different banking method will introduce it from one day to the other, and they are already using it. Revolut has crypto on it, and you can freely trade it. And in a few years, once it's consolidated on the market, of course not like, you know, I don't believe in Bitcoin itself or even Ethereum, but there will be more viable cryptocurrencies that we can use 
and that will have a set kind of uh, there won't be fluctuation and volatility but more useful for people as in you know set to a gold standard just the gold standard is going to be different maybe it's a us dollar like MakerDAO is doing it with their with their uh, stable coin but you know it's really none of my business to say what's going to happen it's definitely something interesting but this is not my primary interest i totally agree also you know that crypto is hard to trace first of all and you know i have seen in america that there are also visa cards that accept crypto so visa is diving in Visa is definitely diving in. It doesn't mean that crypto is so good. It just means no. that Visa is trying to leverage and not miss out. Yes, that's how it is. You know, the market is moving forward. The trends are moving forward and they are, you know, moving forward. MasterCard is mostly with the, with the new online banks. Like Revolut is using MasterCard. Mm-hmm. And all the, all the other ones I've seen, I think. Okay. So interesting. Tell me about your personal life goals. What are your life goals? Like, say, where do you want to see yourself in five years? Somewhere in a beach in Brazil, probably. We all want to see ourselves on the beach, you know. I don't know. If, I, if you asked me five years ago, I would have answered that I would be where I'm right now since, you know, bachelor and master's. But in the next five years, it's going to be very interesting to see. There are places I would like to be, not as in, in a physical place, but more in life. But it's really hard to answer. And I don't, if I listen to this in five years, I don't know where I am going to listen to it. I think we're going to talk about it later. I would definitely be an entrepreneur or at least a business owner of some sort doing my own stuff. That's, uh, I think, out of my own nature. It's just very hard for me to sit down somewhere from 8 o'clock until 4 and just push the Excel sheet. I have tried it and I just know that it's, I'm better off not getting a job like that. So that, that I know what I'm not going to do. That's sure. I guess now everybody is kind of moving into like these new startups, entrepreneurship. Yeah, that's a funny thing, yeah. That's why, you know, we don't want to sit in office from Digital like, nomads. Yeah. yeah, that's how it is. How long are you in this entrepreneurial environment? Probably around three years or, or actually that's when it got real. That's when we started officially a company. But even before that, I always, uh, I had a, not a drive, but some sort of, you know, thought about what it would be like to to do my own stuff and and that has been maybe like five years since I started university like five years ago I didn't know who Steve Jobs was and all I heard from my classmates is just oh entrepreneurship and I had to like google what is exactly entrepreneurship and like oh because we have a very different idea about it in Hungary as we don't have you know anyone to basically like look at we don't have a Steve Jobs we don't have a Bill Gates we don't have entrepreneur stars like Elon Musk still today and that's why I had a very different idea. And uh, this overhyped, oh, Steve Jobs, so creative and so, like, what the, like, you know, it's just a phone with one button. That's it. But then I understood that it's not like, you know, it's also a lifestyle and it's also a kind of thinking about business and thinking about life. People appreciate and my parents appreciate is just, you know, have a steady job at a good company. Lego, Velux, Carlsberg, all the big Danish companies, they were like, oh, don't you want to get a job in Hungary and you can make, you know, money and you know, I, I don't want to have more money now than I would rather have more money later. But I, you know, made that money and I know it's not a company paying me every month. Like also people that you mentioned before, they don't need this kind of security that, you know, a monthly paycheck, more and more so in the, in the Western world. But in Hungary, you know, it's something that you have to have, that, you know, you have a transfer in your bank account at the last day of the month. But I realized that in Denmark and in the Western world, it's, it's very different and you can experiment and you can 
try your own stuff and the internet is there and uh, you can network, you can find networking groups and uh, events and conferences where you meet similar people and just get started on it. And after I tried some student jobs at corporations, I was pretty sure that I didn't want to do it. And, you know, the more I tried it, the more I hated it and just like, this is not going to work. So let's, let's move on and let's, let's try something to, to do from my own head and not just follow instructions. I guess since we have this internet access or ability to access the internet and all the data available, you know, and all this influencer trends and everything, we don't want to go to the job, in my opinion, to the job mm. that where we yeah. kind of like sit in offices and do nothing. Yeah. Because then you're like going in this society. Exactly. I agree. So but before, could you tell that that was your driving force of becoming an entrepreneur? Willingness to be your own boss? It wasn't like a negative force that I didn't want to. I couldn't imagine sitting in an office, as I said, for, you know, eight hours a day and live from coffee to lunch to coffee and in front of an Excel sheet. And that was something that I couldn't imagine. Not because I don't, you know, I like to work. I don't like to work, but, you know, I don't like that I like it. But I work at night or I work until, you know, midnight. And I don't like to get up before, I don't know, nine o'clock. And just like kind of my rhythm, I don't know how it worked out, but that's, that's how I do it. But also in, you know, waking up at six o'clock, going to the metro or whatever, sitting with these, all these people, going to the office and then, you know, having a smoke talk by the water. <laughs> like, no, I, you know, it's nice and everything, but I couldn't, I couldn't make that work in my head. And, and I have tried to apply it to jobs. And, and also it's not about the office, but like even remote jobs with startups. I just don't feel well when I'm, when I'm being instructed or I have to discuss my ideas with someone else and it's just, it's just not me. So it's, it's, it was kind of like a, like a natural development. It's not that because I'm like, I don't like to say that I'm an entrepreneur. I probably am, but it's, it's, it's not something I'm always, you know, coming, oh, I have this company and I have that. It's just a natural way of, I don't think of it as work. It's more like my, also my hobby and that they, oh, you're always working. No, it's like, you know, I, I know what the next step is and I know what I have to do to reach that. And I sit down and I work on it for as many hours as it is required and just will be only, you know, kind of satisfied when, when, the, when the next step is reached. It's, an, it's a more of a natural process. Interesting, Christoph. And since we already start talking about your business, uh, could you tell me what services did the Day Future offer? Okay, so all of it started with my master's thesis. And as I was reading up on blockchain and getting, the funny thing is I was expecting to get really bored with blockchain, but in the end it turned out pretty, pretty well. And I learned some new things and uh, discovered some new possibilities. And of course I was doing with uh, stuff with video recording and editing. And, and I was always thinking like, there could be an option, like how do I merge blockchain with video? And then I was also following some channels and some, some media where, where AI was discussed and, uh, and uh, also blockchain. And then I got into, you know, also reading about AI and just discovering the, the options and how AI actually <coughs> could manipulate videos. And that was already something that I was very interested in. And since I saw the, what was missing from video editors and what AI could add, I was thinking we could create an AI-based video editor. And, you know, kind of combine the two technologies or sciences there. And then um, I finished my thesis. And then after that, I started to think more about the possibilities in AI. And that's when I kind of discovered this, this need that deepfake videos were appearing. The technology was developing and uh, 
and there wasn't really a method to detect them, to tell them apart. There were studies and research papers on it, but there wasn't really a working solution. It all started when I applied for Venture Cup and we got into the, the finals and then I also needed a team. So I, I went to the, the guys that I knew who were computer scientists in uh, computer vision and data science and they agreed to go to Venture Cup and that's where it all basically kicked off and started the company and built a brand. Okay, so the product or the service that you offer is basically you help to detect fake. That's pretty straightforward to say it. Also, I was reading on your homepage about this 2020, mm-hmm. that since 2016, there was already in this election, there was some kind of uh, fake information or fake news. Then, you know, in 2020, is the big thing. Oh, this is a big thing. Yeah. Could you maybe tell me about it more? Yeah, absolutely. So if you asked me like two weeks ago, I would be saying like, oh, 2020 US elections. But now actually we have kind of evidence that it is happening. It was May 22nd, and I checked it because uh, I checked Google Analytics when this keyword appeared. It was the Nancy Pelosi. I have no idea who she is still. She had an interview, and she is into U.S. politics, and she had a manipulated video that was not a deep fake. It was a video done in whatever general video editing software where it's kind of slowed down and manipulated with, so it gives the impression that she's kind of drunk. And this video was kind of shared on, on, on Facebook and social media, even by Trump. <laughs> so that's the funny thing. And in a, in a week or so, it got a lot of press. And what is going on? Like this, these kind of fake videos online. And Facebook didn't do anything. So Facebook kind of uh, cleared their hands and they were none of our business. So that's also a scary part that they just don't care about it. And, and fake, obviously fake content that is going to harm someone's personal brand can be just freely spread. So that is what we will see in much larger numbers. And I can, I can be sure about that. We are going to see it. And the technology was, you know, half a year ago when we started to look at it, it was pretty basic. You could tell a fake video from a non-fake one. Or you could take a look at it and obviously say, okay, this is something is wrong with their face. But now in the last few weeks, we have seen videos that were just, you know, amazing, like three minutes long. And if you didn't know, you wouldn't notice. So that's the scary part, and uh, that's why I'm saying that this is kind of the right time for developing something for detection, but it's also because by the elections, which is like, I don't know, one and a half years, but the campaign has already started, these videos can just appear, you know, everywhere online. And from Reddit to Twitter, Facebook, they can just be spread right away and, you know, published on, on all sorts of media, and millions of people will see them and, you know, Basically, anyone's personal brand can be just ruined from one day to the other. It can also be improved, meaning that today I was on the way here, I was listening to Gary Wee, all the experience, and he was also mentioning something similar, that there are actually people who follow him, who endorse him, and they kind of use his content in their own YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. But then he benefits because he's the winner. Mm-hmm. His content's being used, so therefore his face is being used, so there are people want to know who is this person. So they are kind of passively giving a traffic to Gary V in this case. There are a lot of uh, benefits. Also, when I was coming here, I saw this interesting article, the Instagram versus reality. People use Photoshop or they use this called new app that I have never heard about it called Facetune app that obviously make you in a perfect person. 
that's kind of like amazing. O- only by looks. Only by looks, not personality. Moving forward, when I was reading about your um, company, it wasn't clear. Is the app or the service developed or are you currently developing? So therefore, could you maybe tell me the current stage of your startup and basically the product? Uh, right now we're working with beta clients, especially with one Danish startup. And we are developing the kind of optimizing and testing our solution. They are a independent platform for the transfer of digital media, especially concentrating on like crisis areas like uh, Libya, Syria, and transferring data through this platform to media outlets. Like they, they are used by New York Times and, uh, and Washington Post. And what they do is they take a picture or video It's uploaded on their platform, either recorded inside their app or outside of the app. So we are looking at, of course, outside of the app, which is more critical because you can just manipulate a picture or video, upload it through the app, and it's in there. And you can sell it through the platform to these media outlets. And of course, you have a financial incentive and you can have a political or a social incentive. And uh, the case, like there were, actually, I, I did my research and quite a few photoshopped or in any way manipulated images They started probably around 2000. But before that, even with Abraham Lincoln, they had images that are very known of them, but they're fake. The head is put on someone else's body and so on. The deal with the fake content is that once it is online, it's very hard to identify if it's fake or not. And, and how can you actually prove it? So you have, of course, like these solutions to watermark them or even put them on the blockchain or just, you know, have an origin Google reverse search, whatever, and then you will see when it was first online. But the hard part is actually doing that past after the image is online and taking only the image as the basis and no context. So what they call actually shallow fakes, those are just images that are taken out of context. So there was a case where they used a video of a bombing that was done in Russia and they used it after there was an incident in Holland and then it just The media bought the video from this provider for, you know, some amount of money. And then in a few days, it turned out that it was actually fake. One thing is that it was fake and they spent money on it. The other is that it was spread online and published. So that's no good for journalism. And um, the idea is to make sure that these images are safe to use by publishers or on social media. So one of the ways we work is as an on-demand solution. And the other one is as on upload. So these ways to, to put it is, one is to use it on social media platforms and uh, video platforms and image sharing platforms. That's when we add our solution through an API to the platform. And then on upload, the admin or whoever is notified that there was this that looks suspicious or fishy. And then the admin or someone responsible can take a look. And the other way is to use this software. Let's call it software, but it would be probably as it's under development, it would be like a web app solution where the media client, let's say a journalist from Washington Post, logs in and then drags and drops an image or a video that they have received and then goes through the system, through the layers, and then comes out in the end red or green. So you're good to go or you should do more checking on it. And what happens to the person whose uh, image, for example, if I upload an image on, let's say, Instagram, and then it's being kind of detected by this, your software. What happens to me in that case? Mm-hmm. So you are the bad guy, right? Yes. Depends on the platform. It depends. For, we don't, you know, do any kind of police work. 
that's your deal. Of course, you can be blocked from the platform and you can, you know, lose financial benefits if you're selling your fake images. And depending on the platform, can be taken, you know, seriously and can be just kind of ignored like Facebook is doing right now. There can be many ways, but we are a technology company and that's what we're focusing on is actually just to, to detect and, and inform people and keep the media real. And how do you, if it's not a secret, earn profit on it? We are working out a subscription-based deal for the media companies. So they get a user and uh, they log in to our platform or the web app. The platform, and based on how many times they used it and uh, based on the time period, they are charged. And the other way is to you know, sell the API. And depending on the number of the images, I'm going to charge them. How did you come up with this idea? Because I know that uh, recently there have been new law taken. You mean the Article 13? Yes, okay. yes, the one. Is it connected to why you thought about this business idea? Mm, that was after. So the funny thing is, we don't know how Google and Facebook and YouTube work. If, if something is uploaded, that is someone's copyright. So you take Michael Jackson's song and you upload it on YouTube, it will be taken down in a few seconds because it's you know, copyright. And of course, that's a song, but... You know, Shazam can do that. But if you take a video and you upload it again, then, you know, same thing happens. So it's very efficient. And we don't know if, if you know, obviously Google has the highest uh, ranking technology, but it's still not that recognized or widely used. It's kind of weird, right? But with the Article 13, it said that the platform has to kind of look at the content that the users are uploading and the platform is going to be you know, asked like, why do you have this content when it's copyright infringing? It is in that sense, our technology could be used for it, but that's not what we are going for. Since, you know, Google has much better technology in that and they have the biggest platforms. So it's in that way it's connected, but it's, it's not very related. And uh, it wasn't really influencing our idea and, uh, and brainstorming process and getting to this idea. Okay. Do you have any obstacles? Oh, a lot. Could you tell me what's your business obstacle? Yeah, a business-wise or technology-wise? Technology-wise. Technology-wise, we have pretty big obstacles. Like since we are into AI and uh, use machine learning and data science, you know, it's a prerequisite that you have to have a lot of data. And what we started off with is deepfake detection. I can basically, you know, give you a number like maybe between five and ten thousand deepfake videos online, which is not a lot of data. You know, millions of data points are used to create these videos, but they are very, very inefficient. They use a lot of power and time. And still, they are produced. But the funny thing is, you know, detection cannot move in front of creation. So it has to always, you know, catch up and uh, find the newest technologies. There are not a lot of techniques used. So we have specific data sets with specific, for example, actors or faces that have been swept. But the problem here is, it's just really the lack of data. So we decided after discovering that there was actually a need for even detecting these kind of photoshopped images that are used by media or on social media for, you know, creating fake news and so on. We have discovered also there was a need. So not necessarily that deep fakes are such a big problem right now. They are growing and we have machines and models under training. But we decided to focus more on so to say, very basic photoshopping issues and, uh, and video issues. And once we get to the layers, you will, you will also get a better view of why and how. But uh, yeah, that was, that was the decision that we came to. 
And uh, how are you planning to overcome those obstacles? A lot of data collection, a lot of training. So it's not a nice work and a nice job to have. A lot of, lot of collection of data and, uh, and labeling. So you have passion for data? Nope. No, no, no. <laughs> we have a need for data. You have a need for data. Also, you mentioned the fake news. And when I was thinking about fake news, because when I was also studying, we also been introduced to this kind of thing when it comes to fake news. So you can use a lot of programs to kind of make a different adjustments. Do we live in a world where there is enough real news to publish or talk about it that there needs to be fake news or why it's such a big explosion of fake news? That's a good point. I don't know. I don't know. It's, um, we have a lot of things to talk about, but still the problem is not with the fake news, it's with the thinking of the people. So you would expect that after 2016, people are going to be you know, looking at it twice and then you know, researching their sources and so on, but that's not the case. You know, funny thing is, I think, I don't know what we want to call them, millennials and Generation Z, they are very aware of what kind of content they consume and, uh, and what they share and what they, what they talk about. The, the problem with that is that it, it's people over some age, maybe over 30, 40, they do not necessarily think twice before they share something or start hyping about something. And especially if it's a negative news, then, you know, they're going to be raged and talk about it and have already their opinions formed. And then again, it comes to the equation that on social media, the pages you liked, the news, the media channels that you follow, and, you know, ridiculous amount of people. Like, I have seen statistics that said uh, 70% of the, the people get their news from, from social media. They, they are biased because, you know, you will, if you're liberal, you will follow liberal news. If you are left, right, whatever, you're going to follow those kind of news and your biases will be just, you know, stronger and stronger. So we do definitely have need for, for detecting these news. And with deepfake technology or AI technology, these news will be just, you know, even more powerful and on steroids. So we definitely have a need for thinking instead of the people and seeing actually what is real, because seeing is not believing. Also, when I looked into fake news, funny headlines came up. And one of them is uh, called transgender tampons now on the market. Or uh, another one that was here is uh, the Pope Francis at the White House. <laughs> and another one, the last one, was that Koran and Holy Bible are the same. I was like, okay, so do I need to believe it? Or what's happening? Because, you know, my background is marketing and I understand that headlines have a, you know, kind of purpose interesting uh, those are the yeah i mean all i can say is you always have to think what's the source who wrote it what could be the real edge of this and who will benefit so those are always the questions and also the fake news can kind of maximize traffic and profit i mean after you see a fake video you will be like okay so that's real but still you know you see pictures on instagram like billions they are photoshopped they either filter either Photoshop or other, any, any kind of like other method, but they are Photoshopped and you are like, oh, she looks great. And then in reality, you know, it's very different. And, you know, what can we do when we believe images? And I know Photoshop, and, but, you know, sometimes I, I believe that something is real. Like, I cannot imagine like if fake videos are going to be spread even more and uh, the technology will be more available in a few really months, we will see what happens. Like, 
I'm a little scared of how people will react and, and what the consequences could be. We spoke about the Photoshop and a funny thing, a few years back I was into Photoshop and I was searching for a lot of tutorials and I found one of the tutorials how you can transform Jennifer Lawrence into pizza. <laughs> so, Easy. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it takes a while, but you can do it based on well, tutorial. That, that's very not harmful, like, you know. Yeah, right. If you had a chance to kind of start all over again, what would you do differently with the company that you are currently developing? Not a lot, but if I have to say something, then I would look at more closely on the blockchain side from the very beginning and also start with simple steps and not necessarily use resources on the deepfake side. It's not that we spent a lot of resources on it, but it's something that we learned and uh, something what we are working on and finding better ways. But we're still, I think we are on the right track. And how old is the company? I would say it's around eight months right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, uh, the idea is from basically a year old, but it was very different in the beginning. And do you believe, I also ask a lot of founders this question, do you believe that the company could uh, become into like billion dollar company? We can get back to this in September once we have all the testing done and uh, the beta clients are happy. But the market is over multi-billion dollar. The funny thing is that a lot of really good agencies and companies are working on it, like DARPA is the American Defense Agency. They have invested in some companies and they obviously know that it's a huge problem. The good thing is that in Europe, we are pretty much in the early mover category. There are no more than, you know, three or five companies who are kind of doing the same thing, not the same way or not the same technology. What we actually can compete with that we are actually already in the testing phase and have a working prototype. And by September, we will have it tested and have a proof of concept that will be also investable for investors and uh, can get scaling at the time. So there are not so many things that you would like to change, but you are still new. What is very motivating is that in three months, we will have a definitive answer. What we have to fix either, or if it's working. The question is not if there is a market, it's the, like how we're going to solve it and where the market will be in 2020 and how far we will be with the solution. So even if it's only 100 clients, then we'll be moving very fast and can get scaling. But that's also a scary thing, you know, becoming a, a scale-up from a startup. But everybody has to go through this. Hopefully, the quicker, the better. I hope for that. And uh, now I would like to hear from you. What would you suggest other entrepreneurs that would like to go into this startup entrepreneurial movement? What are the main key activities that you could recommend other entrepreneurs to invest their time in to succeed their goals? Good question. And I wish I could have like a definitive answer. The few things that I am sure and I have learned is that you have to have the right people around you. And you have to know people. You have to really sometimes fail, sometimes succeed with people. Get work done with clients and try to, you know, obviously clients are sometimes going to be shit and sometimes are going to be great. But you have to meet both of them to know the difference the next time you meet them at the first time. So you're going to have like uphill battles. But I think the, one of the most important things is really 
if somebody, you talk to someone, you meet someone, let's say at a conference or a startup event, and they come up with all their great ideas and how they did that and this, and you are all amazed, like, oh, they are great and they are so confident, they can talk, they can, like those people can be good salespeople, but not necessarily a partner that you have to start a company right away. So always, always, always take a few months, take a few, you know, weeks, don't give any equity from your company, don't even think about starting a company until you are absolutely sure that you have, it's like a marriage, you know, you have seen that person at their lowest and at their highest and see how they react and also how they treat other people. Because business is done by people, with people, even if it's a technology business. So you have to be, you know, 100% sure that the people that you are working with are the right people. And business and friendship are not the same thing. So that's the human part of doing this. You know, if you feel like you're not doing great in, the, in entrepreneurship, then maybe you are the, you are the shit people category and it's, it's yourself and it's not the other people. But, you know, keep trying and find what you're good at and what you need from either other people or what you need to improve. And as long as you are improving and learning, you cannot really fail. You don't have to have the, you know, the next billion dollar company the next month. I mean, there are a lot of these kind of small wisdoms around and a lot of podcasts and YouTube videos where, you know, you can do anything. You know, it's really about doing small things and uh, maybe the first five, ten years is the boring part and just, you know, building it up. But in the end, you have to have the inside motivation and not just, you know, I want to have this billion dollar company, but it's about yourself. And, and that's why I'm in that sense lucky that I have experimented with working at uh, corporations and all that sort of companies and it just doesn't really work. Like the only way I can be very efficient is just doing my own stuff, just because it's my own stuff and not because I want to make it into a billion dollar or a million dollar, whatever company. But it's very important that you have some sort of partners and, and there is no billion dollar company that was started by one person. Yeah, but you have to trust your partner so he doesn't kind of like... Take a few years, see if you can actually like, you know, kind of like leaving your child with your partner. Would you do that? The company is the same thing and it's, it's like a marriage. You need a prenup, you need to sign papers before you start, but don't give off, you know, 50% of your company right away because you can, you can really, really hit yourself. That's my message. <laughs> Interesting. So what you're saying that important things within the startup, the team, it's important to have passion for your uh, idea, to learn from... Uh... We also with the learning, I think we have to add that you have to be open to fail and not in the sense that you have to be proud to fail because I saw so many people just being, you know, oh, I, I failed this with that and then learn from it. You don't have to advertise it. The thing is, what you have to do is take the lesson and think about what you would do differently and why. What was the reason? Was it you? Was it someone from the outside? Was it the client? Was it, you know, the technology and so on? You always uh, have to reflect and that's how you will improve yourself and you have to learn and, and also take feedback and implement that into you and next time you will do better. Wise man, Christoph. And uh, before we finish this up, where and how people can basically read about you and the company that you introduced? You can check out. We have Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, defudger.com. You can drop a message there and then I will get back. That's probably the easiest. Okay. I believe that's the easiest way to kind of contact. Right. I will thank you, Christoph, for this lovely conversation, but I would like to do a bit wrap up. Mm -hmm. So today we had Christoph Sabas from DeFuture. DeFuture is developing a user-friendly software that provides a tree-level detection method 
that will help publishers and news and media agencies online and everyone else interested in the truth to detect the forgery in the digital content. And as you mentioned, that importance when you're starting a startup are team, passion, you have to learn to fail and you have to learn from the failing and also motivation to move forward, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Great. I hope that you have also a nice talk with me. Yes. Thank you very much. And I hope your first experience in being hosted on podcast. Yeah, not a virgin anymore. So. Not a virgin definitely anymore. And I also thank all the listeners that stayed up till this minute. I hope you enjoyed. If you'd like to hear more, then uh, follow the link that I'll drop down when I'm going to post this episode. And I will say goodbye today. Thank you and goodbye.